Research in my bachelor's dissertation was on the medieval methods of, of university education and, and how uh, um, the educated elite in, in the middle Middle Ages were, were trained and educated. Right. So we can have a vote. Uh, I think that counts as nerdy. <laughs> Me too. Voice performing God the gospel of Jesus preaching on a Sunday morning But then not point to not point silence I hear We debate who's in and who's out and who gets to heaven I heart PCA die hard PCA Hey out there this is Doug Servin I'm one of the co-hosts of iHeartPCA, a podcast we're talking about what's good, right, amazing, awesome in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. And I am connected to our guest, who we're going to introduce in a few moments, and my co-host, Justin Edgar. Hey, Justin. What's up, Doug? How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. I just actually moved to Baltimore. I got here... Yesterday, you know, we're not in real time, but in our time, I'm in the town where now I have an apartment. I'm sitting in my mother-in-law's apartment because my wife told me I'm not allowed to record podcasts in her apartment. But the good news is it's like two minutes away, a two-minute walk away. So we are are Mm -hmm. here. Uh, I'm going to be doing a little traveling until maybe March or April. But we have pushed off, and so that's exciting and sad and traumatic and all that. Where you? Uh, that is all of that, Doug. Super, tr- super. You guys were in Oklahoma City twenty six years. We were in Oklahoma twenty three plus years. Ten in Norman, ten in Oklahoma City, three in Stillwater. Crazy, amazing. We didn't traumatic. Yeah, that's a a lot of big change, and we pared down all our stuff. And then the question I want to ask you today, Justin, it's not connected to what we just talked about, is how many hats do you own? (laughs) You know what's funny, dude, is we were, uh, last night, my wife was asking me this question, and we were thinking about how, because we want to figure out a way to, like, for me to get easy access to them, but they're all on a shelf, like a not even a shelf, but there's like, it's just a mess. So I have at least, I have over 50 hats. Whoa, over 50 baseball caps. Yeah, she said she counted 48 last night, but I don't think she counted. There was a secret stash. Oh, uh, what's in the missed. secret stash? Uh, it's mostly old, like, hats, workout kind of hats. Oh, that they're not the special year. ones or just the ones that yeah. you're not in rotation with? Yeah, they're not in How rotation. do you decide what to pull out? Uh, I'm a matchy matchy guy, Doug. So whatever matches, uh, shoes and outfit that I'm wearing. So, you know, it's all about that. What would you say would be the too many number of hats number? 
I'm pretty much pushing the too many hats, I probably would say. Oh, are um, you going to get rid of some of them? Pushing. So you can bring new ones in rotation? Probably not. Hmm. So you're going to just stop yeah. buying for a while? Well, I had a membership with a thing called Black Clover, and I got a hat or two every month through that. So I had stopped that like six or seven months ago. So I don't get as many, but I did get one for Christmas. I got an all-white L.A. hat. So like right now, I'm wearing a black with white outline L.A. hat, and that's kind of my go-to hat, solid color L.A. hat, because it goes with everything that I could possibly wear, but... And so how I'll many keep buying some of those? How many cowboy hats you got? I probably have six or seven cowboy hats, but I don't wear a lot of cowboy hats. So I, there's one that is a go-to for me, flat bill. Um, most of the other ones are a little bit more old school. I don't wear them a lot. Mm-hmm. I like. To, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen you in one. Yeah, I have this gray starred black uh, one. I have a black one that I work out in now because it's kind of dirty and yucky i'm about to buy a white one with a blue strap outline on a star so why because i need a white dallas cowboy hat to wear with some Mm. of my gear are you gonna do the whole like dallas cowboy cheerleader outfit i don't i try not to like do it do like if i'm wearing a late like if i'm wearing laker stuff unless i'm going to a game i won't necessarily put on a laker hat with laker gear I'll wear an LA hat instead. And same with cowboy stuff. I'll wear like a cowboy jersey. Unless I'm going to the game, I won't necessarily wear a cowboy hat. It's a little too matchy matchy for me. Mm. All right. Whole so, philosophy, Doug. How many hats I, do you own? Uh, I'm down. Like I had to pare down. So mm. I have like five. And I just bought a new Orioles hat that I'm trying to wear. And then my wife told me I brought oh, yeah. too, too many cowboy hats. Which is two. Mm. So I was like, that's pretty extreme. I don't know. I've never owned an actual cowboy hat, like a country western cowboy hat. Well, that's what I was talking about. Actual cowboy hats. No, I'm was talking about Dallas cowboy hats. Oh. I don't own any cowboy hats. Come on, Doug. So, hey, before we move on to our guests, I was thinking, like, um, you have a City Press hat that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You gave me one of those. I wore that the other day. I need to design, I need to get one of my own uh, Dallas Cowboy or City Press hats uh, made. I know. I need to do that. Yep. They'll do it down at the lid store. You can take your hat, you can buy a solid hat and then give them a logo and they'll make it for you right there. You have a great logo. It'd look good on the front of the hat. I want one for sure. Let's bring in our guest. He's been listening to this riveting conversation and it's enthralling to not only everyone who wants to know what's going on with me and Justin in our hat collections, but also to our friend and pastor, Chris Accardi. Hey, Chris. Hey, how are you guys are doing? We are diving into the hat world. So uh, tell us where you're calling in from and what's going on with you today. Yeah, I'm in Grenada, Mississippi. I've got a Red Sox hat, and that's about it. So uh, y'all just... Blew your mind? (laughs) Justin has some he can put on loan to you, I'm sure, because he's got way too many. Chris, tell us um, what 
Well, our first question is usually, how did you get into PCA? And, and then we're going to really talk more about what you're doing these days because it's super important. So we often ask that second or first. And so how did, give us the uh, entry into how you're in this denomination that we are also in. Okay. Well, I, my dad was a fundamental Baptist preacher when I was growing up and I grew up in uh, that very, uh, so I'm strict out. environment. We, so we love talking to pastors, where, kids, and you're one. And uh, so that's an interesting thing to grow up as a pastor's kid. Yeah, especially uh, my dad um, was, I guess you call him a B-list even evangelical fundamentalist type neo fundamentalist uh, in the '60s and '70s. He was known he he actually turned down an offer to uh pastor a fundamentalist mega church because he felt uh it would um, be too tempting to to uh he, he was very big on sanctification and mortifying sin more from the armenian direction later in his life he became reformed but at that time he just he felt like it would be too big a temptation to pastor like uh, in, uh, a mega Jack church Hiles kind of vein is that what you're talking about well, he, he would be more in the Jerry Falwell kind of camp. You know, Jerry Falwell is one of his big, uh, big influences. Um, my, my dad actually did uh, speak at a Billy Graham crusade wow. Wow. in the what 1950s. What's his name? And uh, Frank Accardi. Okay, so we're Frank have Accardi. To Google that. Yeah. He, he's got, you know, again, he spent a lot of his ministry flying under the radar, but yet very, very impactful. But in his early days, um, before he switched, he, kind of, he moved into the Reformed camp. And I'll, and that happened through my own rebellion, my season of being the prodigal son. I grew up in this fundamental environment where, um, you know, smoke or chew or go with girls that do, you know, movie theaters, you know, no dancing, no secular music. Anything that's on the two four beat is of the devil because that's you know, all those kinds of things. And we grew up um, in, in a very, very controlled um, environment. And I was always struggling because uh, I was taught that but you're saved by grace through faith. You believe in Jesus he gives you your ticket to heaven, but if you don't live the way you should, he'll take it away. And once your salvation is taken mm -hmm. away, you can't ever get it back. You know, there was an interpretation of Hebrews 6. So I grew up really walking eggshells, and by the time I was a teenager and looking at my own heart and all the sin that was there, I got to the point where I figured I lost my salvation, so I might as well party. If I'm going to hell, I might as well party it up and live it up and, and start doing all those things I wasn't supposed to do. So, you know, I, I went out and it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and my dad threw me out of the house when I was 18, um, and I spent about seven years um, living a very debauched life. What I didn't realize um, 
was that as I was leaving, my brother has later told me this, that my dad would sit in the living room at night and wail out in prayer to God because all of a sudden he was realizing that he couldn't persuade me into the Christian faith. He couldn't do anything to change me, and it had to be God. And he prayed his way into the Reformed faith as a Reformed Baptist. Um, and when I finally did come to Christ, when I was in the military, um, I tried to go back to the fundamental Baptist churches that I had grown up in. And uh, I was attending one, uh, and the pastor was somebody who was a teenager when I was a kid in church, so I, I knew who he was. I started going, and three or four months in, he pulled me aside, and he asked me to leave the church. Uh, and I was just shocked, and I said, why, why? And he said, well, we don't want the kids in our church to think that they can go live the way you lived and wow. just come waltzing yeah. back to Jesus. And I didn't know what to do. I called my dad, and he said, Chris, you need to find a Presbyterian church that adheres to the Westminster standards wow. because they understand grace. So here's my Baptist father sending me to find a Presbyterian church. I didn't even know. All I knew was Presbyterians were that, that they were Roman Catholics in disguise. That's what I was taught when I was growing up. Um, so I had no, I had no idea what to do. So I called my Episcopalian aunt and said, so my dad just said, I need to find a Presbyterian church. Do you know any? And uh, she, she actually knew an OPC church uh, and the pastor there and some of the elders. She was a college professor, and, and uh, she taught at Borden College, and some of the professors there were also elders at, at uh, First Presbyterian. So I went there about three or four months in. Uh, Jim Kern was a pastor at the time. Um, he asked me to meet him in his office. And I said, oh, no, here it comes. What did I do? I'm going to get kicked out of another church. So I went in there and I sat down and I started to pour out my soul like I was a confessing to a Catholic priest. Every little thing that I could think of that I'd done wrong in my rebellious period. I, I and, and Pastor Kern just sat there. He listened to the whole thing. And he said, well, that's all under the blood of Christ. I was wanted you to hear so we could talk about how you might serve in the church. I was thinking the middle school youth group would be good. What do you think? And I just poured out every all, all the garbage in my life. And here's this man saying, mm -hmm. all this is under the blood of Christ. How can wow. you serve in the church? And at that point, I knew that this is the Christianity I needed. And this, this, and, and as I grew, I realized that was the Christianity in the Bible. And the Christianity of fundamentalism has fallen way short of, of what the scripture teaches. So I kept growing and serving. And, um, and then people started to say in the church, have you ever thought about seminary? And my thought was, be like my daddy? Mm -hmm. No way. But people kept persisting on that. And then I started in ministry. People started to come to Christ. Uh, I'd be ministering to kids, and they'd be professing faith. And 
people say, no, Chris, you really got to think about this. Um, I moved on and was working with the New England Fellowship of Evangelicals and was preaching in churches. And people said, no, Chris, you really got to think about seminary. So uh, I applied to uh, Reformed uh, Seminary in Orlando, but they didn't take veterans benefits. I don't know if they do now. So I was going to pay for seminary with veterans benefits. So I ended up at Covenant Seminary. Uh, because they took veterans benefits and and Jim Kern I was a pastor at Grace and Peace in St. Louis mm-hmm. and a Covenant grad uh, before he came in with PCA before he came into the OPC. So um, I felt like that was big be good because I really admired him and his heart and he really discipled me and invested in me. So I uh, and when what year was I that? When did you go Covenant, to Covenant, Chris? The first time around, I started in 1994, um, and I, I, um, I soaked it all in. I actually was an interim pastor in a mainline church up in Ellsbury, Missouri, for a while, um, and just really was just growing, and I was working uh, towards the MDiv, but then my veterans benefits run out, and I didn't know how I was going to pay for seminary. And then my wife's uh, home church where my wife was, which was fundamentalist, <laughs> said, uh, hey, you know, we need an assistant pastor. Would you be willing just to, to come and serve? And, you know, I, and that pastor didn't know all my background or otherwise he wouldn't have touched me with a 10-foot pole. But I went back there and just took a Master of Arts degree at Covenant because yeah. I just wanted something. So I did that. And about a year in, it was a it was a tough situation. The the pastor had some serious moral character issues, and uh, I talked to him about them. And I sat down and showed him the scripture. You know, new seminary graduate. You know, just new in this kind of thing, and just trembling and shaking that I've got to go talk to the senior pastor about um, character issues. And, uh, and this is a fundamental Bible thumping pastor. And he looked at me and said, I don't care what the Bible says. This is the way we do things here. Never a good line. And never a good line. So I, so I resigned. I didn't know what to do. So First Presbyterian in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Uh, again, they welcomed me back. I started going to Gordon Conwell for a year. I had somebody um, help with that. And after a year at Gordon Conwell, um, they wanted me to repeat eight courses I successfully completed with like A grades or B grades at uh, Covenant Seminary because I didn't have their professors. And I'm sitting there going, why am I going to repeat eight you successfully complete complete at covenant eight thousand dollars worth of or actually it was more than that it was like sixteen thousand dollars at their prices worth of courses um to get their mdiv and i was very discouraged and uh somebody uh called me um and said chris i want you to call uh diane preston at covenant seminary and just tell her your situation. And if they'll take you back, I'll pay for your whole wow. last year of seminary, including apartment. 
And I called, you know, I didn't know. I called Diane and she said, look, Chris, what we'll do is we'll tear up your MA like you never got it. And you'll just complete your MDiv and, and you can do it in a year. And she really, I mean, I, I, it was tears of joy to go back to the covenant and be in that community. And, uh, so I finished up, got back in 99, 2000, I finished up there. And I think that's Doug, that's when I met you. I think we were that's overlapping right, yeah. at it that was, second uh, late nineties. And that's where I met you, but I didn't realize you, I didn't know all that backstory on how you know, all that. It's amazing. It's incredible. It is incredible. Yeah, just how God works. You know, we we think we we think we've got our lives all planned out, and He has a whole different plan sometimes for us, which is a better you know, Chris, plan. I, uh, I grew up in a in a fundy kind of environment like that. I actually went to Liberty for a year, um, and it it is a you know, Swindoll wrote the book Grace Awakening, kind of describing his coming out process of that environment and that that is what it feels like right it feels like this like you understand grace when you you knew the bible or you listen to sermons or you sung all the songs and then all of a sudden bam like grace comes alive and then you realize oh wait man what else don't i know right exactly i i hear you you know the grace after fundamentalism grace becomes very big because we realize it's not all about us it's about what christ mm. is doing through the holy spirit yeah and how he is at work well um, uh, that's incredible story um we're gonna talk some more about what you're kind of doing after all that and what you're doing now but uh first we're gonna have a break and uh, hear from some of our sponsors so let's go to break podcast is brought to you by storied publishing we publish books with redemptive themes check out our growing list of titles at storied.pub let us help you take your book from idea to a finished product that you can hold in your hands contact us today at storied.pub Welcome back to iHeartPCA. We're talking to Chris Accardi, and he just told an amazing story of God's redemption through how God providentially works in his life and got him into the ministry. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And so, Chris, tell us about the ministry you're doing now in, in your church and how that looks. Um, and then there's some interesting aspects about that that we'll get into as well. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm at uh, Grace Presbyterian in Grenada, Mississippi. It's uh, in North Mississippi, part of Covenant Presbytery. I have been trying to find ways, because my heart is for those small towns, and we're seeing an increase of this in the PCA, where many small towns, and there's 
churches that have been in the PCA that can't get a pastor. They can't get anybody to serve. They get overlooked. And at some point, a church loses its critical mass where it's, it's unable to support a ministry. can't even support ministry apart from a pastor. And yet they're viable. They're in strategic areas. They're in areas where it would be much less expensive to replant than to start all over because you've got a building, you've got people with roots in the community. You have a lot of wonderful assets when you take a church that's willing to behave like a church plant in order to um, become uh, effective and faithful ministry uh, or engage in effective ministry where they're, where they're at, where, where they've been for many years. And that kind of heart doesn't lend itself to full-time um, just serving as a pastor in a church it meant trying to find alternative ways to support my family because my, my wife and my kids, they don't sign up to starve while I do ministry. I mean, I probably could live out of the back of a camper and do it very cheaply, but you know, I can't put my family through that kind of hardship. So I realized I needed to find a career because I've been doing biovocational ministry in other settings and uh, you got to work a lot of hours at $10, $12 an hour to be able to support a family. And that every hour you have to work at that job is less time that you have to serve the church. Uh, so while I was um, moved to Mississippi, we, we were engaged in uh, ministry to disadvantaged kids. I began to look around and again, just... Uh, God's blessing. I had a great uncle who was going to give me an inheritance before he passed away. Um, and I was able to use that to, to go to nursing school. And instead of 10 to $12 an hour job, um, I've been working as a consultant before. You know, that was paid much, much better, better than nursing. But the problem was it was feast or famine. So it was very predictable for a family. So now I, I ended up with a nursing degree, became a nurse, and I could um, now work for $30 or more an hour and work a lot less hours to provide for my family, start doing retirement, which we had been in ministry for a number of years and hadn't even really started on retirement, um, provide health insurance and all those things without it being a burden on the church. And... Um, I was invited to come preach at Grace, uh, do pulpit supply. I came down. I was a lot of a lot of people um, warned me about the church and its history. But when I got there and started preaching and got to meet the people, I found that what the reputation was wasn't what right. the church was at the moment. But there were people that were had a heart for the gospel that weren't judgmental, that really wanted to reach the community, but they just didn't have, they, there was about 15, 20 people there 
on a Sunday. Not enough to support, you know, uh, permanent pastoral work for sure with 15 to 20, at least in most cases, right? So how did it transition then, Chris? Like, so you're, you become a nurse, you're doing nurse stuff, you're pastoring part-time. And then how did this then lead into, you know, the stuff with hospice care? Okay, sure. Um, One of the things I found um, when I was nursing, I was nursing in a hospital and uh, I I found myself working more and more hours to the point that I was working 70 hours a week for the hospital, 40 for the church. My kids were grown, but my wife, you know, I didn't see my wife, you know, 100, 110 hours a week, 90 hours a week um, was, was not was not good. It was not healthy. And at the same time, our church, you know, was going from 15 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 40 to 50 to 50 to 60 to 60 to 70 at that same time. Um, And right after this uh, 2019 general assembly in Dallas was a couple weeks later, after that was over, Mm. I had a stroke. And as I was being, Life flighted down. First thing I was saying is, Jesus, just take me. I'm tired of this life. I'm ready to go. Praying. I couldn't talk. I couldn't hardly talk or anything. My face was all numb. And I was living inside my mind at the time. But I also just realized that I I couldn't keep doing this. Found out I had a hole in my heart, a, a birth defect I never knew about, and a blood clot had passed oh, yeah. through the hole in my heart and went up into my brain. I had a friend that that happened to, Chris. That's crazy. It just, but, but God, I wasn't listening. I had tremendous mentors. Uh, um, Dr. Koistra was investing mm-hmm. a lot of time in me and, uh, and others that were just mm-hmm. pouring into me. Chris, you got to slow down. When was the last time you took a vacation with your wife? Chris, you can't do seven days a week, 12-hour days, mm-hmm. 13-hour days. You just can't. And I wouldn't listen. So, again, the Lord providentially does what the Lord does when he wants to redirect you. So he, he humbled me. And uh, I had to slow down. I didn't have any other choice. And then COVID hit. That further um, further presented a challenge um, because of my health issues. My pulmonologist said that I needed to. At the time, I was uh, uh, directing inpatient services. Uh, Parchment Prison has a hospital on site for inmates, and I was directing patient services, inpatient services there. And my pulmonologist said, get out now. This is going to be fatal for you with COVID. So I uh, didn't know what to do. Uh, I was on a leave of absence, and somebody told me about hospice nursing. and said, Chris, you're a pastor, you're a nurse, you'd be perfect. So I, one of my friends, uh, a, a wonderful uh, Christian doctor in the community, was the medical director for this hospice 
And uh, through, through that connection, I, I ended up being part of a, just a great hospice team. Um, it's been a blessing. I have, I don't have to be in management anymore. I don't want to touch nurse management again because it, it's just very taxing. And it's, um, but I've got a great manager, a, a great uh, patient care services director. Uh, we've that, that really understand they're, they're both uh, committed Christian women that really understand that calling to, to be tent making and do everything they can to enable ministry. But it also has opened up so many doors because those that are um, terminally ill, they have families, mm-hmm. they have friends all through the Delta, I'm in homes where somebody is going through the worst point in their life. They're, they're on that final part of their journey and not only ministering to them, but also being there for their families. And it has just been a wonderful uh, opportunity to bring uh, the gospel to be asked. I've been asked to do funerals. I've prayed with people. I've been able to talk and provide comfort of the gospel. Some, some people that are dying that they, 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 they want somebody to be talking about the gospel when the grandchildren or great grandchildren are there because right. they're concerned about them. So it, it's given more opportunity than I could have ever, that's cool. that's ever so imagined. Of course, it's amazing, and uh, I want our listeners to know that we had scheduled to talk to Chris in a previous uh, few weeks ago, and he wasn't able to talk because one of his patients uh, passed away, like a right when we were about to talk. So it's just so interesting, Chris, as you're a pastor and a nurse. It's so unusual, I think, but it's so beautiful. Right. You, you've been talking about it, but to put a bow on that or to bring that back together, what a what a ministry to bring the gospel into just tragic situations of loss. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, and and I, I think it's just a privilege. And it's also uh, being an ambassador of Christ um, in those places that are sometimes the most difficult um, places to be at. Um, I've been in homes where um, there's holes in the floor, no air conditioning, no refrigeration. Most people would consider it uninhabitable. I've been in homes that have all the trappings of wealth. But one thing I've I've learned is you can be a multimillionaire and you could not have a penny to your name. But at some point, we all have mm-hmm. an appointment. And when God calls, it doesn't matter what resources we have or don't have. We're all going to meet. And uh, it's just been a wonderful opportunity just to see people in their most human where their yeah. humanness shows the most and where the believers, where, where their new life in Christ shines and where those 
who don't have the hope of the gospel, where, where their brokenness and their fear um, um, really yeah. shine through. So, Chris, um, we've been asking all our guests this, this uh, season uh, what kind of advice they would give. If, if you had ear of the PCA as a denomination, what advice would you give to her? When I transferred to the PCA from the OPC, I was ordained in the OPC and served there. Uh, and when I came in, I came into Northern New England Presbytery in 2003. And one of the questions that they asked me, because back then it wasn't all this social media stuff, it was blogging and people were writing blogs and doing websites and, and all that. And the, and the question really was, what do you do? It was it was about ordaining women uh, into the office of deacon, and, and I I do not support that. Um, but they said, what do you what would you do if if you changed your mind and you decided you you supported uh, ordaining women for the office of deacon? What what would you do? And at the heart of the question, I th- I think they were driving at when they were examining me for transfer was, you know, how do you, in this emerging age, now it's just got worse, is how, how are we going to resolve conflicts in the church? Um, my answer there is the same that I'll give now, is the proper venue is in our sessions and our presbyteries at General Assembly the proper venue is those discussions that are not out in public. Um, when parents are thinking about a divorce, they don't bring all their dirty laundry in front of their children and raise their insecurity, at least anybody that's healthy. You know, th- those kind of deep, deep conflicts, you don't just vent them out in front of your kids. And, and I think we don't. My advice is maybe let's pull back from doing a lot in front of the kids in front of church members. And I don't mean to belittle church members at all. I'm just saying yeah. there are people we're called the shepherd and we can really make the sheep insecure by doing things in public and airing those out rather than our church mm-hmm. boards and in private discussions. And my encouragement is maybe that we would pull back from a lot of what we're doing on social media and, and try to resolve things uh, not so publicly. That's great advice, Chris. And you've been uh, thinking about this and you have really interesting thoughts about how we got here and where we are and maybe where we're headed. So I appreciate your insight into that. And you just have also an amazing heart for the lost, which I don't know if it's that unusual, but it seems unusual to me. I mean, where did that come from? When you've been lost, um, uh, some of it, I, I think it just got, it's all God's work, not some of it, but having that experience of walking away from the church and believing I was lost and had, and not having any hope of redemption and what I got my life into and what the despair was, all the while trying to put on the front that everything's okay. You know, I'm in the military, I'm getting decorated for achievements and all these things, and yet, my private life was in very much disarray. 
and just recognizing that there really is no hope apart from Christ, apart from the gospel, unless somebody's born again, is reconciled to God and has him as their father, Jesus as their redeemer, the Holy Spirit as the ever-present guide, and God's word is to, to direct our steps. Uh, it's a very bleak and hope, hopeless life. Um, I don't want anybody to face the judgment of God. I don't want anybody that I know to endure the fires of hell for all eternity. And so I can't look at people. I guess that's the way God wired me. I, I just can't look at people as um, as anything other than, than human beings that are going to stand before God one day, either to be declared righteous in Christ mm-hmm. or condemned mm-hmm. for their sin. You know, we could uh, talk to you for another couple of hours, but we're, we got to stop. And we blew past the other PCAs. Justin, you got your last question, just, you know, like, here we are. Maybe the literal last question, which is not usually true. Yeah, it's not usually true. So uh, I hear, Chris, that you're a Red Sox fan. Um, so what is it like uh, being a Red Sox fan in the yeah. in the, uh, in the dirty South? Uh, there's lots of us down here. Red Sox Nation is uh, uh-huh. everywhere. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I, it is everywhere. It's it's a it's a movement, and it, it's it's kind of fun because I was a fan uh, through some pretty yeah. pretty bad years, uh, and it's and people are all jumping on oh, the bandwagon. True. That's true about the Red Sox for sure. Chris, it's been so great to talk to you. I would have liked to have asked you about your medieval studies bachelor's degree. That sounds yeah, interesting that would be fun and. I don't know, nerdy or not nerdy? What do you say, nerdy or not nerdy? Nerdy. Uh, to, to, yeah, probably. Because I at the time, I would, before I went to seminary, when I started all this journey, when I was not going to go be a pastor, I was looking to do a PhD program, and I was trying to get into either Notre Dame or, your or Cambridge. emphasis um, or dissertation on? I, I actually, I was what I was doing a lot of my research in my bachelor's dissertation was on the medieval methods of, of university education and, and how uh, um, the educated elite in, in the middle middle ages were, were trained and educated. All right, so we can have a vote. Uh, I think that counts as nerdy. <laughs> Me too. And then it's the opposite Probably of nursing so. for sure. So you you're all over the place. I think you you're a Renaissance man. I I, I don't know what I am sometimes. <laughs> I just uh, 
I just have found that home in, in small towns and I love nursing. I love pastoring and I, I love people. Chris, you are such a great pastor and you're doing such a great work in such a great place. And I think our denomination does have a heart for, needs to have a bigger heart for small towns and this revitalization work with, with someone who maybe can blunt the full-time pastor salary I think that is a big wave of the future for all churches. And you are, you are on, you're doing it. And so I think you're going to be a mentor for people. And Mm -hmm. we really appreciate not only you just doing it as a sacrifice, but doing it as a calling. And it's just beautiful to hear these stories. I'm sure you could tell stories all day long about how God is using you in these situations. It's, 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 God, it, it is blessed. And, and when you're bivocational, you are connected with the community and you have a respect that um, a lot of people look at pastors, you know, you just work one hour a week on Sunday, you know, like that. But when they see you out there, you build a respect. The other thing I would say, um, it's coming. Um, uh, if you look at where churches are and, and, I think bivocationalism is going to be a necessity and we better start preparing our younger men that are coming up to be bivocational because there's probably going to be a number of seasons in their life when they, they will need to, uh, whether they want to or not. Thank you for that advice and word and example. And, you know, I really appreciated your website and your videos in there where you're just honest and, talking about things I'd, I would love for everyone to visit your, what's your website uh, address? Well, I, well, I, I, I do have a little bit of a blog. I don't publish on it a lot, but it's a Chris wordpress.com. I also have a, I'm starting to build out pastor Chris RN on Facebook as a page um, to combine uh, ministry and just some, some advice and just even talking about simple things of how do you know somebody should be in hospice? You know, how do you care for a loved one who's on hospice and those kinds of things, but also just talking about uh, a lot of ministry and life issues that. that, uh, Okay, everybody. So now, you know, uh, follow Chris, listen to his advice, ask him for his advice. And Chris, thank you for spending time with us. This is iHeartPCA. Like us, follow us, tell other people about us, ignore us, whatever it is you want to do is all good. We will be here soon enough again, talking to somebody else, not quite as amazing, but we're going to do it anyway. I won't tell the next person that. See ya. I am spunky. I like my oatmeal lumpy and my Kalen is grumpy. Overture is up and overture is down. Some make us happy, but others bring a frown. I heart PCA, die hard PCA. By far the PCA in the best PCA. I heart PCA, die hard PCA. By far the PCA in the best PCA. I heart PCA, die hard PCA. By far the PCA in the best PCA.
best PCA. I heart PCA. I heart PCA. By far the PCA in the best PCA.